Welcome to another episode of Simply Sales and Marketing. Today you have myself, Charlotte, and my co-host Rob. Hello. And today with us we have Samantha McKenna. Now if you don't know Samantha McKenna, Sam, she's the founder of Sam Sales. She is a LinkedIn expert. She is a sales messaging expert and she's broken 13 sales records. She created the hashtag show me you know me. Sam, welcome to the show. Hi you guys. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to have you on. Now, you are a very sort of different person in how you approach sales. You got your first exposure um, to sales in sixth grade when you raised money for the Leukemia Lymphoma Society. So you were knocking on doors and sort of delivering a pitch. Uh, You then went on to sort of break records. But you're really about what shines through because obviously we've never met. We know each other on LinkedIn. I've seen you at webinars and events. I've seen the impact that you actually have on people. You want to make people feel valued. You know, part of that is you've created a team of 13 women. So tell us first off, Sam, sort of what makes you different and what got you into sales? I think, great question. I think what makes me different is I, um, you know, much, much like you, Charlotte, uh, I I hail from Europe. Uh, I'm originally from Switzerland. And I think one of the things that makes me very different in terms of my approach to sales is it's very manners based. I grew up with two parents who put manners before um, anything. I still remember my mother yelling at me and, you know, when I was five that my uh, friends would come over to our house for play dates and wouldn't say hello and goodbye when they would leave the house. And I'm like, mom, I'm five. I don't know. I don't know how to handle this. Um, but I think manners have always been something that have, um, you know, threaded through not only my entire life, but my professional life. So I think it's an interesting thing to think about sales and manners, right? Because we don't usually think about good manners with sales, but I think that's one of the ways to be very, very different. And I think, you know, how I got into sales, probably like all of you guys, right? I was not little and thinking about the dream of being a saleswoman, but instead I fell into it. I declined it the very first time and then, you know, expertly negotiated my salary for a whopping $5,000 more of annual pay if I took the job that they were uh, begging me to take. And then the rest is kind of history. But imagine if I had said no and, and really stuck to my guns or if they didn't come back, maybe who knows what I would be doing these days. I love that also with the manners. And I think, you know, one of your colleagues was saying that, you know, you really encourage kindness first, which I think is yeah. is amazing to hear, you know, in, in the work world. Can you tell us a bit more about that, like how, how that works out in reality? Yeah, I think so. From a leadership perspective, we one of the things we we talk about in our business all the time is uh, the concept of falling on your sword. And what I mean by that is, you know, when we make a mistake, we own up to it, we take accountability for it, we you know sometimes publicly discuss it to say, you know, here's something I did, here's something you can the team can learn from my mistake. Which I think sounds probably a little uncomfortable and unconventional uh, to begin with, but. I'll tell you, there is nothing better than from a leadership perspective than when people openly talk about the issues that they have instead of you having to have difficult conversations. One of the things that I just hate to do is difficult conversations. But if you encourage that kind of behavior, you encourage the fact and you're open about the fact that mistakes are going to be made and we know they're going to be made. But if you kind of celebrate the ownership of that, celebrate the discussing of that and celebrate the idea that 
mistakes are going to happen. The thing we want to keep in mind is that they don't happen again, right? That's where the difficult yeah. conversations come yeah. into play, not afterwards. And so I'll give you just a good example. Um, Catherine on our team, who's our chief of staff, she had had, you know, her uh, some challenges with her daycare at home and her kiddos and things like that and had not been on her A game, let's say, for a couple of weeks. And, you know, I've definitely seen some of those cracks and just said, like, hey, don't, don't forget about this and quick reminder to do that. Just being cognizant of it. And then because we are a team of falling on your sworders, she came to me and said, you know, I, I just I want to recognize that I haven't been on my A game and I want to let you know kind of what's been going on with my kiddos at home, et cetera. And my first reaction to that, I have two choices, right? I can say, thanks for sharing, shape up. <laughs> or I can say, thanks for sharing, like, what can we do to get through this together, right? Like, how can I help? What do you need? Do you need some reprieve from your duties for a little while so you can figure things out, you know, and focus on, on getting the daycare you need, et cetera? Um, what, what can we do there? And I think if you approach that, if the latter versus the former as a leader, you will find one that it is so very different than what normal leaders do and what yeah. loyalty it breeds, right, in, in your people. And it's funny that you mentioned Catherine Kirk because I dropped her a DM on LinkedIn a few days ago, Sam, and I asked her what was the best thing about working with you. And she said, it's the, (laughs) I'm going to, okay, quote her, the team and culture we've built is phenomenal. We strike that balance between having great personal and professional relationships. I value having a leader like Sam who walks her own walk and encourages kindness first, ethics, hard work, good communication, continued education, and the fact that what we do allows us to help others and see those results. Oh, oh man, I have little tears in my eyes, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> what, a, what a nice surprise. Thank you for yeah. sharing that. Oh, it's... no, it's great. There was a post that you had and you were talking about, I want to talk about the sort of the danger of assumption Personally and professionally and in sales, you were talking about a post. You wanted to get some, you were getting some quotes for some building work. I think it was to your house. Mm. And you were wearing this pair of sort of old shoes. Yes. Just, and, and one of the, the sort of sellers, the, the building firms gave you a quote, said something really rude like, oh, but look at that woman's shoes. She can't afford us. <laughs> <laughs> I was yeah. like, what? And then it turns out that, you know, you were talking about that and how never to make any assumptions just because of the way that somebody's dressed. And, you know, yeah. you can take several messages from that. But in the end, that that person, that, that build, building firm lost out because you ended up doing a six-figure renovation to your house. So sort of t- talk us through that and perhaps how, you know, for all the salespeople that are listening to us and the marketing people as well, the, yeah. the danger of assumption in both professions. I think this is the, it is, it is an interesting story, right? So it's the, um, for any Americans that are listening on the phone, it's the, um, or on, a, on our podcast rather, it's the, the old Navy $2 flip flops that I was wearing. So it'd be like the equivalent, of like, yeah. I don't know, $2 top shop shoes or something like that, right? They're yeah. super comfortable. I have a deep love affair with them. I will wear them for the rest of my life. That said, there's a rack of Valentinos at my home as well. So, you know, you've got to, you've got to find some balance there. But anyhow, I didn't, I showed up to this site to go and look at their work to decide whether or not we wanted to work with them. And the owner, the owner of the um, the renovation company, who should know better, said to the designer who had brought me in, you know, she can't afford us. I mean, look at the shoes she's wearing. Well, I'll tell you, like, I, I came literally in one of one of three cars I have, probably the, the, you know, worst of them, but it's a BMW SUV. I came with a Abercrombie & Fitch 
rain jacket that I've had since, you know, 12th grade of high school that I still <laughs> love. I really, really pulled out all the stops here. But that, that assumption definitely cost them the business, right? Not only could we not, you know, not only could we afford their services, but on top of that, right, we, like you said, we did it two very large renovations on our home, of course, the business they missed out on. I think a couple of things, you know, I even think back to um, my time in college when I worked, I had a second, um, I had a job on top of my internship in college, and it was at Neiman Marcus, which is a very high-end designer store. And a gentleman came in, I worked in the men's department, a gentleman came in, he wasn't dressed very well. Um, the two other men that I was working with would not wait on him, but I was like, well, what else do I have to do? I'm bored, so I'm going to wait on him. And so I did, and he ended up purchasing a $3,000 plus blazer. And then his wife and his daughter came over with their bags and their shoes and things that they also wanted to buy. And I mean, I laughed when I said the total, it was $10,000. That was also the day that I learned the art of commission, $800 check on that $10,000 sale. Holy moly. But think about this, the assumptions that we make, right, for the people that we speak to in our sales career. So when you come across, you know, if someone, if you're selling, let's say like us, if you sell to VPs of sales, heads of sales enablement, CROs, and you get, let's say, an account executive who reaches out and says, you know, I love your content. I want to help bring you in. How do we treat that person, right? Do you actually give them the time of day? Do you see them as an advocate or do you blow them off because they don't have authority and budget? Do you see them as a door into the organization? as you should. Even thinking about this with calls, I see this happen all the time on the call teardowns we do. When we listen to gong or chorus recordings, we see the AE will be on the phone. Let's say the, um, you know, the two levels down from the decision maker will join first. And that account executive says, oh, hey, you know, Catherine, let's say on our team, oh, hey, Catherine, we're just waiting for Sam to join. And then we'll just sit there in silence. So instead of engaging with a person, instead of trying to understand what's their role in this, why are they here? Instead of you know making the assumption that that person has absolutely no value to drive, why not just treat everybody with the same value and respect that each everybody should have, right? And start to build those relationships. The value of tossing those assumptions out the window can be so important. And as you can see, can make massive financial impact to our bottom lines. Yeah, you, you've definitely engaging with every person in, in a sale, every stakeholder is super important because you know even if they're not signing off the budget, they're going to be your champion or influencer in some way. So absolutely. Yeah, you create, yeah. Take those treat them all as equals. Into your moles, right? Like you're in internal your internal spies if you will about what's happening with the deal yeah how how would you suggest people do that because i'm sure a lot of people naturally have make some assumptions perhaps when they shouldn't is is it just discipline is it just taking a moment to think it through step back and say no actually you know i should be working through this you know i think this is um it's kind of the same thing that weaves back to my manners first approach and i think that people are so are often i know i will get some eye rolls for this but so are so often selfishly motivated they they don't stop to think about the value that just a few minutes of their time could drive for a deal or for a long-term relationship so let's say right engaging and building a relationship with that that champion if i or that user if i am selling to a cro and i say let's say i have a senior manager of sales enablement that comes on that senior manager on the call isn't going to sign our deal but that senior manager can have massive impact to getting our deal over the line and i'm going to instead of again skirting them to the side i'm going to go and invest the time in building a relationship with them sending them a thank you note afterwards connecting with them on linkedin finding a way to drive 
have value for them because yeah. they are a valuable part of this. But think about this too as well, like the um, the way that we kind of make assumptions of the value that somebody has when they turn us down for a deal, right? Or say like, we're not interested. M- many times I find that people don't even respond to those emails. So if someone says, hey, we're not gonna move forward with you, Sam, or if somebody responds to our email and says, thanks for reaching out, this isn't a fit for us at the time, I would say 80% of the time, you're going to have people who don't even respond. So think yeah. think about that from a manager's perspective. Invest that time. Yeah, that's great. So in, in essence, be kind. Um, yeah. <laughs> that is, is brilliant. I think it's it's so powerful and it's actually something that a lot of people don't think about first anyway, in business especially, not to say they're not kind people. And I know it's a big thing that Gary Vee always goes on about and you know, I'm a I'm a big fanboy of everything he, he does. And yeah, that's that's a strong message as well. So we um, we had a team that was uh, well, that we partner with at a, at a sales sales intelligence platform. I'll just say that. And they were trying to get in front of somebody we knew. And I said, just drop our name, put our name in the subject line, say that you work with us, you know, <clears throat> use that as your show me, you know me rather. And they did that. The person responded and said, I so appreciate, you know, the show me, you know me, you're obviously a student of Sam's yada, yada. It's just not a fit for us. And so the person that rep came back to me and said, okay, he's not interested. I just wanted to let you know. And I said, well, how did you respond to that response you got? And the rep said, I didn't. Why? And I said, well, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you say thank you so much for responding? Why wouldn't you take the time to build that relationship, to connect on LinkedIn, to say, if I can help with anything other than this, please let me know. Yeah. And it seems like a foreign concept to many when it's like breathing to me. Yeah, that's great. All right. So just changing tech ever so slightly, you've got amazing experience, sales, marketing. If you were starting out again today, what, you know, what was it that you wish you knew when, when you first started out, what would help you the most? I think the number one thing was um, when I came into sales, I really felt like this was, I felt like it was a, it, like many people think about sales, like it was a grimy profession. I, it's what, in fact, is why I turned down the job to begin with. I thought, woo, sales, cold calls and ugh, hustling people into buying my stuff. No, thanks. Um, so I think the first thing is I wish I probably learned this about three years into my career, um, that sales truly is helping individuals. Our prospects are not talking to us for their health. They're not bored. In fact, they are anything but. They are talking to us because we've presented something to them that we think they have a challenge, they've aligned with that challenge, and they're hoping we can help us. Uh, We can help them, rather. The other thing that I would say is to take your, I wish that I had taken my foot off the gas, well, I I don't think I actually ever did this, but um, I'll say it for other people that are starting out. Don't forget that this is a human business, right? Our job, somebody's given us 30 minutes of their time. Our job when we get on a discovery call is to help them solve their challenge. So the way that you solve their challenge is not by asking them very specific bant questions and then demoing your product or solution or service or person or whatever. It's about saying, why'd you show up here in a very professional and tactful way? We need to understand what their challenges are, what's going on with them so that we can help them. And if that doesn't result in business for you, right? If they say, Sam, we want you to teach us the Sandler method. I'm like, cool, I don't do that, but here's who does, right? By just by being honest, by quickly disqualifying the opportunity, and then by doing all the other things I mentioned, sending a thank you note, connecting on LinkedIn, asking how I can be of help. I am taking that one conversation and I'm spiraling it into an inordinate amount of relationship and value. Value for them, relationship building for me, and at some point, Hopefully they'll need us. They'll know somebody who needs us or they'll change jobs.
wants and need us. So playing that long game, right, is critical. I think the other thing I'll say is the foot off the gas piece. So many, many, many reps I know either hit exactly 3.5x of pipeline that they need to quota because that's the closing ratio their company has, or they hit their quota or hit 5x of their pipeline to quota ratio and take their foot off the gas. When I would say one of the things that's made me most successful is figuring out not only how to hit my quota by myself, no BDR, no inbound, no marketing, no referrals, just by myself. And then two, even when I have hit quota, you know, in October, even when I have 5X pipeline to quota and I know I'm going to make it, I think how much farther can I push? How much higher can I leap? You know, how much farther over quota can I get this year? And those are the things that have made me so successful that I wish every seller would know, you know, at the beginning. Absolutely agree with that. The danger of complacency in sales is still quite rife from from what I can see out there. And you you can't stop. And it's like you say, you have to build those relationships and and really work on, on the ones that tell you no, because tomorrow in the future, they could change roles and they could become your client. Completely. Or especially, you know, if you want to ever ever go out into the entrepreneurial spirit, people wonder how we grew so fast over 150 clients in less than three years. I'll tell you how. It's by doing all those things I've told you, right? This is a long game. And if you master these foundations early in your career, they will pay off in spades. I think for every SDR that says, I, I want to be an AE, I don't want to make cold calls anymore. I don't want to send cold emails anymore. I'm like, LOL. I'm a, you know, multi-million dollar earning CEO who still makes sends those emails and still networks and still, you know, brings in leads and takes discovery calls. Like those things will pay off forever. Now I've just told you how much I earned. That's great. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And you're still involved in every step of the sale, which is great because most CEOs would be, Oh, I don't do this anymore. My team do this. Yeah, and there, trust me, there's there's a great benefit in the what I call the division of labor, right? So there are things I don't do anymore. I don't make my own decks. I don't schedule my own meetings because my brain, you know, should go to the things that really pay off our business, the strategy, working with our clients, being in front of them. Um, those are the things that really need my brain, not the, all the other things. But again, those those basic practices, right? How to network, how to get referrals, how to social sell. I do those things all day, every day. Yeah. You know, when we think about obviously this being sales and marketing, this sort of leads nicely into our next question. How do you think sales and marketing can be better aligned? So you have a very strong personal brand and you're a, a, a top social seller on LinkedIn which is one of the sort of key things for the future. They even say personal branding is going to replace marketing. How do you think, though, that sales and marketing could be better aligned? You think the number one thing is you've got to start at the top and dropping egos. So I think with the best relationships I've had where when we just we we can make a commitment to each other that we are here for a common goal, which is to drive revenue. So instead of saying, hey, marketing, you're not driving enough MQLs and marketing saying, well, you're not doing anything with the MQLs we're giving you. Let's drop the egos. Let's drop all of that. Let's truly look at what we're both doing on both sides of the coin and then let that work its way down. So when I hear, you know, you're not giving us enough MQLs, I'm thinking about, well, let's look at, let's truly look at that. Let's look at the conversions. Let's look at what you've done with it. Let's look at what sales has done from an SLA perspective. Have we followed up meaningfully on those leads or do we follow up once or twice and then give up? Because oftentimes I'll, I'll say right back to sales, it is our problem. We're not doing anything in a timely manner or um, as well as we could be with the, the work that marketing is doing for us. 
On the flip side, when I hear, you know, we're giving you MQLs, you guys aren't doing anything with them, I think, let's inspect those MQLs. Are you actually driving traffic and the things that matter for us? You know, one of the businesses I worked at before, I led enterprise sales, and our marketing team had absolutely no experience marketing to enterprise. So while they were driving an inordinate amount of MQLs for us, the enterprise leads that they were driving were slim to none. And every time we had a conversation about it, it was, you know, dukes up. So I think it's really just, again, dropping those. If you don't know how to do this, let's have an honest conversation about it. But at the end of the day, the only thing we're trying to do is drive those efforts together. So we have to be aware of our own shortcomings, be open to our own shortcomings, and then solve for those. I'll say just one more thing too. I find that sales um, often goes to marketing at asking, 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 right? We are, we are excellent yeah. <laughs> at taking, um, not good at thinking, what do you need back from us? So again, our best, my best relationships have been, hey, we'd love $10,000 to go and sponsor this event. I'm going to take three people with me, et cetera. Um, we'd love to ask marketing for the support on this, for the money, for the resources. We also would like to know if you are kind enough to give this to us, what can we do back for you to make sure that this is successful, not only in the execution of it, but in the ROI that you get out of it. So let's again, take our, our motivation, our selfishness off the table for a minute and just think, what does marketing need from us and how can we be good partners to them? Completely agree with that. And I think you're totally right. Salespeople have typically been ask, ask, ask from marketing. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> can you put together decks for me, please, as well? <laughs> Which yeah. I say I'm guilty of doing that. Um, <laughs> it's great. Definitely think that sales need to, to, to help marketing more and, and feed into that. It's a partnership, right? Yeah, yeah. it's a complete yeah. partnership. And we were talking on another episode with Tyler Lessard that the relationship mm. between sales and marketing should be like Leia and Luke from Star Wars. So family, but not quite family. <laughs> of course you brought in a Star Wars reference. Well, well yeah. done, Tyler. <laughs> yeah. So what do you think now should stop in sales and marketing tomorrow? I think the the, the number one thing, uh, you know, I, I beat this drum so loudly on LinkedIn, but um, is I think one marketing needs to stop the idea of um, our old marketing practices, gated content, eBooks, um, driving MQLs that are completely, you know, couldn't be higher top of the funnel if we tried. And instead to think about that partnership again and invest those dollars in making our reps excellent social sellers, building a brand on LinkedIn, teaching them how to do that. Because, you know, we know kind of just what you said, like earlier, Charlotte, personal brand will replace marketing. It is social selling to me is the art of meeting our buyers where they are on social media. They are on social, they are on, you know, forums, they are in Slack channels. They're looking for information in places like that. They're not going to our website and then looking for that information. They're finding it in different places and then going to our website. But we're missing such a huge piece in not enabling our sales teams to be strong, uh, knowing how to, how to post, what to post, how to engage in conversations. I mean, that's modern day prospecting for me, right? And then if you add a simple simple field on your um, your contact us form or whatever it is to say, how did, how did you hear about us, right? Watch, watch and see how many people say LinkedIn LinkedIn, LinkedIn, right? Or social channels or Slack community or whatever it is. And then you'll see the impact. I think if we can break ourselves away a little bit from the deep love affair that we have with attribution from a marketing perspective and say, instead, we, we know this works. We see it work every day. 
even if we don't get the full attribution, if we see a spike in pipeline, we also know that our sellers will tell us that it's working because your sellers will say more, more, more of this because it works instead of more, more, more attribution. Yeah, I think, and also with attribution, it's such a hard thing to to track well, and there's there's so many gray areas. But I think that's a really good point. It's such an important skill for for salespeople uh, and actually marketers too. I mean, it's something everyone should should understand completely. Cool. Well, thank you, thank you so much. It's been great having you on. Before, but before you leave, we know you do Sam Shorts, loads of really useful, valuable information for for your subscribers. Is there perhaps a bit of a practical tip that that you could leave uh, for our audience listening? Yeah. Um, so our um, our Sam Shorts are on our website. Tons of tips, just as you said, um, little subscriptions in there. And then for the sales ones, we add four new ones every month. So definitely come and check us out on our website. I'll give you one of our most popular tips, uh, which is the, the scheduling of a ghosted meeting, if you will. Um, so if we reach out to someone, uh, or perhaps it's even an inbound, but somebody says, hey, we'd love to take a meeting with you you know send some times that work and then we'll we'll organize it so we send some times and then we never hear back so we do the dreaded just following up do these new times work what are we supposed to do so i think you get about one one two three shots to to do that right the first reply maybe a little follow-up and then the third time if you don't hear back then what my move has always been is to proactively schedule that meeting two weeks from this date so i would first reply all and say Hi, I know scheduling can be half the battle. Um, I'm going to go ahead and schedule this for two weeks from today at this exact time. Um, you'll see the invite on your calendar in just a moment. Uh, if it doesn't work, let me know. I can kindly reschedule. Otherwise, hopefully that does work. So a couple of things. One, we're always sending that email before we send the meeting invite. I always want them to see our communication before us greedily asking and, and getting a meeting. And then two, um, we're also using a little bit of EQ to recognize that they just might be busy as all get out and just frankly just haven't had the time to look at their calendars. So I'm giving them that two-week reprise instead of saying, I've put time on your calendar for tomorrow, which we know will never, ever work. So delay the meeting a little (laughs) bit, capture the meeting booking, use your EQ, um, and again, with the manners first of sending sending that that email uh, to begin with. Yeah, great tip there. Use your EQ. I like that you call out that, you know, the scheduling is half the battle because it is and nobody wants to be sort of sending multiple emails or getting multiple emails about you know so when annoying. to book the meeting <laughs> and sending the meeting. And I'm guilty of this. I've done this a couple of times. I don't do it now, but I did do it probably, I would say, two years ago, sending a, um, a calendar invite. And, and putting maybe a bit of brief context, but, but being a bit greedy, as you were saying, yeah. just assuming that the other person is going to accept that. And, and I can't think of anything worse doing that now. <laughs> it, it, I know, right? And we all, listen, we've all been there. We all have our moments that are ugh, cringeworthy um, from, from our past, right? Uh, I'm, I'm sure I have lots of skeletons in my closet there and hopefully nobody will unearth them. Uh, but I, I think, you know, we've all been there. It's just a matter of learning and pivoting. So um, yeah, loads, loads of uh, tips in there. I think we've got about 40 of them from uh, Masterclass on Show Me Know Me, how to negotiate your salary, how to interview really well. So um, come and hang out with us there if you're not already a subscriber. Yeah, absolutely. I just want to mention the tips on on the jobs. I actually had a friend request me about that and you put out an email, which was actually a chaser from from sending a sort of a CV or resume, as you call it in the US. Um, so I sent it to my friend and she got a reply. So so really good. That's amazing. Yeah, she'd been uh, waiting congrats. for- Congrats. 
Yeah, so um, she's actually got another job now, but she was job hunting, so that's really good. So you've had a really good impact there. Um, it's been a great episode, Thanks. and we can you can find Sam on LinkedIn, Samantha McKenna. Anywhere, anything else that you want to plug before we jump off, Sam? No, that'll do it. Um, come come say hello on our website and say hello on LinkedIn if you're not already following me there as well. Thank you so much, Sam. Thanks, Thanks Sam. Guys.